Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Out. Po- uh, I'm going to start over. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I could speak a little clearly. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich, and I am just uh, beyond thrilled to have Amber Johnston back on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. A huge congrats are in order. Yeah. You had a book launch. I did have a book launch. This is a phenomenal book, Amber. We uh, we were just talking for a second about um, uh, how I, I got a copy. I ordered a copy. I have two. So, yay. Yay. Okay, <laughs> yay. <that's good>. <laughs> we can do a giveaway or something. Yeah. But, um, you know, I ordered a copy and then I, I got a, an advanced copy a couple of days ahead of time to prepare for this podcast. And I was like, oh, I'll read it in a couple of days. No problem. I'm a fast reader. And then I got it. And... <laughs> It has a depth to it that I was expecting because you um, you have a depth to you that is so beautiful. Um, but there's a breadth to it as well that I was not expecting. I mean, you cover so much in, in the book. And, you know, sometimes you come away from a book with, you know, some really good things. But you come away from this one with so many um, just really life-changing, poignant, uh, deep, you know, deep thinking things. So, uh, Amber, way to go. Thank you. Congrats. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's a big deal. So your book is called a place to belong, celebrating diversity and kinship in the home and beyond. And we, we talked about this, uh, it was months ago and you're like, you know, and here it is. I know it's like my book baby. So I was in my third trimester there and I just pushed (laughs) that baby out and it feels so good to have it out there. Yeah. Um, you, I'm going to read the bio that's in the back. You're a homeschooling mother of four who speaks and writes on heritagemom.com. Uh, we talked, we have a different podcast together about Charlotte Mason, which is such a good one, um, about including diverse voices in traditional curricula and infusing culture into the home environment. She's a regular contributor to the wild and free homeschooling community and lives in Georgia, nestled among pine trees, hammocks, and zip lines with her husband and their children. And we've met, I'm so, it's cool because I've got to meet them. I know that was really cool. Glad to meet your family. Um, one of the things uh, that you and I have talked about is that uh, you're a homeschooling mom, but this book is is not just for homeschoolers, um, and I can attest to that. It's just it's a book for people. That's it. That's what I was aiming for. I, I kind of felt very strongly about that. That the whole topic of my book is this kind of inclusivity and wanting to call people to the table, and I wanted to actually do that with my book as well. So um, it is something that's welcoming to homeschoolers, sure, but it wasn't written directly to them. Yeah. So, okay. So this is a big process. I mean, you know, you have a book proposal, you just spend, you know, nine to 12 months writing. It's, it's a big deal. Tell us, tell us why this book? Why now? What, what was your journey? Well, it was uh, a journey that where I sought to answer questions, all the questions that I was getting. So in the beginning, I talked a lot about books, right? Some years ago, that's how I started and kind of came on the scene. And I still love that. And I tell people, you know, you're expecting to hear me talk about books. And I did. I spent three chapters talking about books, but there are 13 chapters in the book. So that's 10 chapters of things beyond books that matter just as much. And I think that uh, when I got into social media and was blogging really regularly, people were asking me a lot of questions that weren't about books. And they're like, there's something else going on with your family. And we catch glimpses of it here and there. But what is it that you guys do? Like, 
how do you operate? And I want to know more. And this book was answering those questions for people who were wanting to know more. They're like, nah, it's not just the book list, Amber. What else is going on over there in that house of yours? And this was my way of kind of half manifesto, part memoir, and then a, a major guide to share with everyone about what's going on over here and why I think it's relevant for other people as well. I love that you said that manifesto memoir and guide, because that is what I'm talking about when I talk about there's a breadth to the book. Um, you know, you, you're reading, you're like, oh, it's another thing and another thing and another thing. You know, you're talking about your world schooling. You're also talking about, you know, your daughter's experience growing up as a, you know, a black child in a white homeschool group and, and how that, you know, how that affected her and um, your whole family's journey. So what was the easiest part to write about? Wow. The easiest thing to write about were the books, to be honest, because um, I talk about that so much and I had such a high level of confidence and there's some amount of removal. Well, my personal story is related to that, but the books are not part of me. And there were other parts of the of my book that were much more intimate where I'm sharing really you know, not holding back at all about what has occurred in my family, the good and the not so good, and also um, our relationships with people outside of the family and what that means. And so, I mean, I feel like I get into topics that are kind of taboo in a lot of cases that nobody really talks about, and that's scary. And so that those, those were definitely not the easiest chapters to write. Yeah. It's really brave, Amber. I think for me... Um... And you and I have talked about this maybe a little bit on the last one. I um, I grew up in a school that had a fair amount of diversity, uh, which was just a huge blessing. Um, you know, my best friends going through, you know, I don't, I, you know, one was white, Teresa, and then a Korean and um, an Indian, and uh, and their names are Carrie and Shiny, and uh, we're just best friends all the way through school and. It was neat reading your book because I remember with um, Carrie and she went to Korean school on Saturday and Shiny, she had um, this whole other life, you know, with um, with her Indian, uh, like extended family and they'd go on all these different um, events and things. And so you talked in your book about being bicultural and it, it kind of brought me back to those to those memories that they had these other and it's really cool, you know, Um <laughs> Uh, it, it's exciting, and I think something to be celebrated. So, so can we talk about that a little bit? This concept of, um, you know, how depending on your ethnicity, you know, you have more than one culture. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times people don't necessarily realize that. And so, when I've talked in the past about this need that my family has at times to be part of a of a village, um, a, a village or group of other Black families that are kind of doing the same thing, and at times I've been really shamed for that. People have been like, "Well, that's not right. Why should you guys be able to gather together?" And I think you know two things about that. One is that you guys always get to gather together too. You just don't yes. have to say it. Um, but also, more importantly, is this idea because we are bicultural, there has to be a time where we can really just rest in that side of who we are without having to be on or thinking of being evaluated or othered. And, you know, with moms who will understand, it's kind of like you come home and you take your bra off, <laughs> you know, and, and that's like your moment of like, okay, I'm home, I'm resting, I'm refueling. And that's what being in these villages, um, I use that term to describe, you know, groups of people with similar backgrounds. That's what it feels like in that moment. And we all do that. 
We all yeah. gravitate at times, you know, it's, you know, we reach, you reach across the table, you know, you, you spread your wings and, and you love on people, you know, but then we all have times where, uh, you know, we, we spend with maybe a smaller group or, or even a larger group, but, you know, everyone shares your all sorts of things yeah, and you just sure. feel, you know, you just feel more comfortable. I remember um, I used to lifeguard and there was always uh, the black families had these massive family reunions yes. at the parks. <laughs> uh, you know, and I just, I tell you what, I, that was one of the things I loved the most about your book, Amber, was like, let's celebrate that. Like, how cool is that? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, they all have matching t-shirts. You never yes. saw a white family doing it. <laughs> Never. No, it's so true. And and you know what? I have a family reunion this summer and we put in our t-shirt t-shirt order and you know we'll do that <laughs> same thing. It's so sweet. I mean, it's totally legitimate what you're saying. And and I love what you said. Yeah, like why not celebrate that? Why not say yeah. yes? That that's something we do and it's fun and something we look forward to. And other people that share that culture understand that. And sometimes we, you know, crash each other's family reunions. One of my friends might be having <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm coming through, you know, I'm getting a plate of food, you know, order me a t-shirt so I can blend in. Um, and, you know, it's just a, it's a fun part of, of who we are. So I think yeah. you bring up a perfect example of what I'm talking about in the book. I think people immediately start getting very serious when I start talking about like this diversity and inclusivity. And they're like thinking you're going to study something and, you know, buckle down. And I'm like, no, I'm talking about lively celebrations, yeah. smiling and fun. Fun and food and so yeah. many people. And, and what a, um, what a way to develop roots, you know, do you feel like you're you're part of this big, you know, this big group of people, and they were huge groups, and it was constant. It was like every weekend there were so many of them, and I just uh, it made such an impression on me. Like that's that's amazing, you know. Well, you know something funny about that uh, funny story. The last time we had a family reunion, it's usually every couple of years, but COVID and all. But um, yeah. we were. Uh, on the last day, the whole family, extended family were there, all the matriarchs and patriarchs, you know, the grandparents and great aunts and all that. They were up at the front and um, the musicians, family members started playing and the entire room stood up and we were all singing the same songs. And my kids wow. were absolutely amazed. And they were like, mama, how do they know our songs? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, because we all taught them to our children. Wow. And it was like something that was really moving. Something, you know, this is starting with my, going back to like my great grandparents teaching their 12 children, these, these, this music and these songs who taught their kids who taught us. And then I'm teaching my kids and for, you know, hundreds of us who live across Across the country and the world to come into a room and sing together was just very moving. Yeah, how powerful. I bought one of the books for, that you mentioned in your book about songs. Uh, it was toward the beginning and I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it just came the other day. It was real cool. It's got all these songs in there and uh, yeah. you talked about the books. You got a lot of book ideas in there. I think, I think you know, you talk about roots. I think that's a, um, that's a really uh, big theme throughout the whole book, all the way woven through. And you could see how spending time in an environment like that, you know, going back to matriarchs and patriarchs and cousins and all these things would help a child develop really deep roots. Can we talk about that topic, about the need for that and why it matters? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I talked a little bit on our last uh, chat on, on a different previous episode about some of the problems that my daughter was experiencing where she was starting to feel like a little, little bit invisible and like, like she didn't matter. And when I started talking to her about it, 
broader family that she was a part of and generations of people that came before her and legacy-minded discussions about people who will come after her. I saw this like brightening of her countenance as she realized that she was important and she comes from important people and all children do. And I think that you know, as much as we love her and as precious as she is to us, we had somehow missed the opportunities for explicit expressions of her value. And uh, I think that's the idea where the idea of that rootedness came in. And, you know, knowing that if you want a, a tree to have deep roots or a plant to have deep roots, you have to water it. And this book is a guide to watering is really what it is. And um, yeah, it, it her tree is bearing beautiful fruit. And, and I wanted to tell people about it. And there was a quote in the book and I, um, I always have, I have so many notes here, which is actually a problem. Cause then I'm, I'm trying to find the quote and then I can't find it, but it was something to the gist of, there's just one of you and there will always only be one of you. You know, you're the only, um, you're the only you that will ever be and will ever have been and how special that is. And I thought that was such a, a cool quote, but of course now I can't find it. Yes, um, I'll find um, out for you. Um, so I, the book, it really made me think. I, um, I had an experience, or maybe we talked about this, I can't remember, but I taught in a school where I was a minority. It was my first year out of college. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, my, my classroom was all black kids. And it was one of the best years of my life, Amber. I, uh, I lost the job because of the economy. Yeah. I was like, you know how things are with teachers, like there's that cyclical thing. It's like 500 teachers are applying. Sometimes there's like no teachers and then sometimes there's an abundance of teachers. And so yeah. I was in a, in a sort of a rough spot, but I taught um, junior high and, you know, maybe there'd be one white kid or maybe there'd be none, you know, in these classes. And uh, I was, it was really just the coolest school. The, the families were so awesome. They were so loving and so open armed, so warm. Um, but I had this experience and it was my first time experiencing um, being the minority. And, you know, I grew up, you know, obviously um, the, learning that you never discriminate, right? You know, we had great teachers in school that would talk about, you, you know, you don't ever discriminate and they do these different things about, you know, what if you're judged based on your eye color, all these things. And, um, but I never had that experience before. And it changed me because I felt it. Um, even though I was so loved and so welcomed, um, I felt it. I felt my skin color for a full year. And I was an adult at that point. Um, and so reading your book, it really made me think about what if I would have been a child? And, you know, what if all the books I read were all black people? And what if all the t TV shows I watched were all black people? And what if I went to Target and it was mostly black baby dolls? And, you know, and it actually really your book expanded my thinking on that experience. Um, and so I think uh, it's such a worthy thing to read about what someone else's life experience is like. And, and you talked about that with your daughter. Um, so, so can we talk about that a little bit? I think it's such an important concept. And I think, um, I think that many people don't have the experience to feel like they're like you don't, you fit in, but you, but you feel the, your differences, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think that, um, 
that you kind of described it perfectly. Interestingly, I grew up much the way that my daughter was. And so I inherently understood exactly what she was experiencing, but she felt uh, bold enough to state her needs and to let me know how she was feeling. And I had remained quiet all along. Um, so to be in an environment where you're the only one, a lot of people assume that you'll be fine if, if no one's being mean to you. And the truth of the matter is everyone can be cordial, nice, somewhere along that spectrum, kind and welcoming, and you still can feel isolated and alone. Yeah. And maybe it's part of, you know, human nature, but there is yeah. a feeling of kind of othering, like I am not them and I don't quite fit in. And because in my case and in my daughter's case too, at the time, we spent so much time as the only ones, the only people of color in white environments, we like almost fit in, like we were so close, but there is still this one step that you'll always be this one step removed. And there's this extra layer of confusion because you don't want to be white, right? You want to be who you are. So you don't want to become the people you're with, but at the same time, you want to feel like you belong. Um, and, and I think that those are some of the things there's no right or wrong answer. It's just to know that people struggle with this. And, yeah. you know, I bring up this example of one of my friends, uh, I was having a birthday party at my house and she knew a lot of my black friends were going to be there and everything. She's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I'm going to be the only white person there. She was like, you know, so don't kill me if I don't show up. I'm so nervous. And I was like, you better not do that because do you realize that every single time I've ever been to your house during our entire friendship, I've always been the only black person person there and her jaw just dropped. And like, she had never seen that before. I said, that's every time I step outside the house, you better come. <laughs> and yes, so you better come. <laughs> it's so, a lot of, it's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That quote you were looking for, it says, um, the child must know that he is a miracle that since the beginning of the world, there hasn't been. And until the end of the world will not be another child like him. What a quote. You had so many good quotes in your book. I have that under the section about celebration and about all the really cool things that, you know, the African-American culture does so well. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about just rich legacy and li literature, innovation, creativity, you know, and then I had that quote there about, mm -hmm. you know, how each child, each person is a miracle and we celebrate that. Yeah, I think in the book, I want I want our children to know that about themselves, but then I want them to believe it about everyone else, too. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I, so I think one of the themes that was in the book um, that really broadened my understanding um, was that by having these roots, you can be more open, open armed um, because you've had a chance to relax and you've had a chance to come into yourself and. Um, you're not feeling the weight of being the other, you know, othered all the time. Um, so that's something I think people are a little confused about. Uh, so let's, let's talk about it. Let's, uh, let's okay. shed some light there. 
I totally understand that because when I start talking about celebrating your individuality, your diversity, what makes you different um, and digging into that, it can feel like a siloing, a separation. But in reality, what happens, you begin to feel self-assured, self-confident. You begin to feel settled and you have the energy and emotional bandwidth to spread wide branches towards other people, to extend yourself into relationships that often take effort and intentionality. When you're spending all of your time worried about worrying about where you fit into the world and who you are and trying just so hard to be seen and to feel like you have value in any space that you're in, you don't have time or the energy left over to try to to grow closer to other people, especially people who are different than you when you have to, you know, exert even more energy. So you tend to stay more siloed into yourself when you lack confidence and settling. And the, the more of a sense of belonging you have, the more um, upbeat you are and curious about reaching out and forming bonds with others. Yeah. It's like the opposite of what people think. And mm-hmm. I don't blame them. I thought that too. I, I I made that decision with my own children and I thought, well, I'm going to save them in this one area because I see them circling the drain in terms of how they feel about themselves. And I, I did that recognizing that it's going to negatively impact their ability to build cross-racial relationships and friendships. It's going to pull them apart from other people. And I wrestled with it and I decided, oh, well, that's just the price we'll have to pay. But then- I saw what happened and I was like, oh, wait, so you mean the more I pour into my kids about their culture and the more connected and rooted they feel, you, they're actually making more friends cross-racially? I was like, okay, I did not see that coming. And mm-hmm. the more we did it, the more it happened. And I was like, oh, I got to write this down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to start telling people about this. Yeah. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, Transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before, 
I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Yes, and it's so important for people to read about it. And and you wrote it in such a way that makes it very easy to understand, to empathize, to under you know, you know, you can't ever really completely understand, obviously. Like I said, I had one year as a as an adult, you know, and I so I started to try and think of what, you know, how would I feel if this would have been my entire life, you know, with all these other elements, you know, even people making racial slurs or or, you know, throw that in there too all of those different things. And um, you did such a beautiful job of helping people understand. I think that's, that's important to me. And everybody has kind of their own approach to making the world a better place. And for me, breaking down the barriers of understanding and kind of allowing people in, in an intimate way, has always been how I operated from childhood until now. And that's where I feel most comfortable. Um, so it's something that I don't expect from other people, but I sure do welcome it when I, when I receive it. And I think that it goes a long way to um, building really um, deeper relationships, not just yeah. surface ones, but where you're actually connecting with that person on a deeper level of humanity. Um, and you become friends, like real friends. And to me, that's kind of the, the point of it all. <laughs> yeah. You saw, and I feel like you said, you know, with your daughter that the change was fairly quick, you know, <laughs> she just like, she just lit up. It was almost, it was almost so fast that it seemed that it couldn't have, it couldn't be real. And I was, I, I mean, it's almost like uh, you, you feel like she had a snake bite and then she was given this like antivenom or something like that, you know, and then she just like perked right up. It was that fast. And it was very, very apparent, um, not just to me, but even to friends of the family and other family members who don't even see my kids that often. They saw one kid, you know, one year and the next time they saw her, they met a completely different child. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You did just a masterful job of telling her story and your story um, and sort of how they intertwined, which is something that's actually come up on our, on our podcast a whole lot, which is how there's so much growth in motherhood. Mm, so much growth in motherhood. Let Can we talk about your story through it? Um, you know, the mother growth, you say to heal my daughter, I had to wreck myself, not my body, mind you, but my sense of self. How could I ask my child to show up authentically in this world when I couldn't even do it? Um, so you've had a journey here, Amber. It's not been an easy one. No, it hasn't. There were things that I wasn't willing to, places I wasn't willing to go emotionally um, or emotional work I wasn't willing to do for myself, but on behalf of my kids, 
hands down, I was like, this is what I'm going to have to do. I put my big girl panties on and show up for these children. And I think the hardest part was when my kids are looking at me and saying, you're telling us that we are beautiful the way we are made and, and, and we're perfect, but you're not coming out of the house. You're not showing up anywhere looking the way you were made. And they were, you know, she was specifically referring to my hair at the time, which I was wearing bone straight every day of her life. And uh, she was like, I don't know why I have curly hair. I hate it. And I was like, well, you got it for me. I have curly hair. And she's like, well, how come you never wear it? And I was like, "Uh, well, I mean, I'm an adult, you know, and she wasn't buying it because it was crap. And so, you know, that's not to say that anything's wrong with people straightening their hair, but you have to examine why. And for me, I realized I did not feel comfortable showing up with big hair. And I had to wrestle with that because I, I expected her to do it every day. And so the hypocritical nature of my parenting came out and I, you know, I wasn't willing to deal with that or to live with that. And so I had to wrestle with it and decide where I got the messages of beauty from and why I felt like I was expecting a six-year-old to do more than I was willing to do. Wow. And you really do highlight your own growth in your book. One of the things you talk about is you started a black homeschool group, which I know has been hard. Uh, that you've gotten a lot of flack for that. But I think we addressed that a little bit at the beginning. People really should read your book um, Mm -hmm. to get a a lot better sense of it. But you started this group and um, it's for your daughter. It's for your other kids. It's for everyone else's kids, you know. And and you talked about how um, you just, these relationships formed so quickly. And you said, I never saw that coming. Mm -mm. Well, because I wasn't... I wasn't missing anything. You know what I mean? This was for my kids. I was good. I mean, what do I need? I'm an adult. I'm happy. Got my husband, my kids, and you know, I have friends. And and then I started hanging out with these women and I was like, whoa, what's happening right now? Like every time I enter this space, it feels like fireworks are going off inside of me. And I'm just walking away feeling like I've been receiving gifts for the last two hours at a park play day. You know, these, uh, I can't even describe it. It was a very kind of almost like spiritual experience. And I, I thought, okay, I, I needed them. And yet here I received these connections where I could show up and not have to say a word. And you have these hugely traumatic situations like what just happened in Buffalo. And I could go the next day to an event with these families and not have to speak about it at all, but just walk in and, and give and get a hug that said everything. And we could talk about the mundane, knowing that our presence together was really a form of therapy. Um, And so it's hard to put into words, but it was something that changed our lives. And that group has been probably the single biggest um, component of why we still homeschool. Wow. Mm. But yeah, you get to connect with your other culture. Yeah. Uh, Bicultural is really um, just such an awesome thing. And I like that you said, I never saw that coming. I think the thought of, um, I don't think we ever see coming the growth that we receive through parenting. Mm. You know, um, his book is, there's so much in there and it, it's all from parenting and choosing to show up and do the hard things and, and really dive deep. Um, so, okay. So we'll, can we switch gears just a little bit? Cause I, yeah. I want to talk about, there's so much in here, Amber. 
I know what's funny is because a couple of people have been like, oh, well, on your next book, you know, and I'm like, listen, <laughs> you got to understand, I put all the things in this book. This is like the encyclopedia. I can't imagine having another word to say on any topic. <laughs> it's, it is really uh, just super impressive how much how much you squeezed in there. And in a way that's interesting and, and um, it's very intriguing and engaging. But one of the things that you talk about, and it, it sort of weaves in too, because, um, you know, you traveled the world mm. and, and you've sat in other people's cultures all around the world. And um, so I'm sure people would love to hear oh, world schooling is such a cool thing. Um, so one of the things I noticed is that you didn't wait to do it. You yeah. talked about waiting to do it, but you went with a one year old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You went was- with one year old. So can we talk about that first, you know? the first sort of experience into world schooling and why did you do it and what'd you get out of it? Sure. So um, our kids, when we left for that trip, were like one, four, six, and eight or something like that, or one, three, five, and seven, something like that. And uh, on one hand, it was like, oh, we left with this baby. I was still nursing and I packed diapers and all that. But on the other hand, we had been waiting for seven or eight years you know, because Scott and I knew we wanted to do this before we even had a child. And so it was a long time. And finally we were just like, this is it. Like, this is the moment we're going to take it. And because we aren't tourists on these trips, um, it's not as difficult as it sounds because we're settled in a home and we're going to the market and cooking. I mean, it's much like where what I'm, how I'm living here in the States. And that's kind of how I talk myself into it. Now that was a bit of a lie. Cause when we got there, it's much different, you know, language, <laughs> transportation, culture. But at the time, that's what I told myself anyway. I wasn't like I was going to be uh, doing all this stuff or going on cruise ships and all that, we were going to be at a home and I could handle it with the kids. So um, it was such a remarkable experience that we were sold. We were like, this is what we're going to spend our lives doing. And we set out on that path and, and that's what we've been doing. So COVID tried to throw us off, but we've already gotten our tickets and set up accommodations for our next trip. We leave in October um, and we plan to keep going. Yeah. So, um, so you go and you stay for a couple months, yeah. uh, and you had, you had some really practical tips in your book, really practical. How much does it cost? You know, uh, how do you learn the language? You know, what are the, what are the key phrases that you need to know? So, um, uh, but then you talk about how, cause people say, well, then your kids aren't going to have any friends, right? You know, or they, they say things like that, but you talk about how play is a universal language. So, so what happens, what happens when you go to these places and no one speaks the same language? What do the kids do? Okay. The kids run up to each other, uh, to the other kids they see, and the other kids are super excited that they came over and they start playing and they start all talking to each other in their own language. I mean, wow. I was sitting there on these benches watching this for hours and hours across different countries. And I've seen it play out again and again. There's, there's actually, it feels like less apprehension than even kids running up together here. Um, they do not care. They're excited to see each other. Um, they, they speak in their own languages and they understand each other. Um, I, I, how that happens, I can't explain, but they are squealing and laughing and pointing and giggling and running and tagging and, um, play is universal. And so I noticed on these trips, no one ever asks me about me. And that's where the case of the loneliness or anxiety or other areas come in. It's me, you know, there have been times when I did cry myself to sleep because I just, 
wasn't feeling connected, well connected yet. It takes a while. Like we're usually there around three months and you don't just walk into a country and have friends. You spend those first few weeks only talking to your kids for the most part until you really put yourself out there, really put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and try to build relationships. And and a lot of times there's a, a language barrier and you know, at times I'm apprehensive as well, because I do want to soak in the culture and I want to learn all I can from people, but I don't want to use people. And so I have to try to find ways to have reciprocal relationships when I'm, I don't have that much to give or to offer. Um, And so I have to make sure my friendship vibe is tight. Which I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because I didn't think to ask about you either. Yeah. You know, it just ask about the kids, you know, how right. do they do? But yeah, yeah, you're alone. No, and you, you said Scott would leave, you know, sometimes he'd stay as yeah. long as he could. And then you're there. Uh, so where, where are some of the places that you've been? Um, we've done this in Bolivia, South America and Peru. Um, we've been to Greece, France, um, a short stint in Germany. Our next trip, most of the time will be in Ghana in West Africa. Um, we'll also be in Madrid for part of the time. Um, so yeah, we kind of just, wherever we decide we want to go, a lot of it has to honestly has to do with finances. I mean, we're not independently wealthy. And so we don't usually say, you know, I'm going to go here. We usually look at what's the price of living, where can we afford to be, um, who's who's got the best deal going on for Americans to come plop over there. And that kind of leads a lot of our, our decisions. Yeah, I was curious how you pick your places. You know, it's it's a big world out there. And, mm. uh, and do you have a list of places you're hoping to go to? Oh, definitely. And, you know, we try to work those out and sometimes it doesn't work out. This ne- this fall, we were supposed to go to Ethiopia. We had a place to stay already lined up and it was my, it's my dream, my dream country. And then a civil war broke out and, you know, that, that led to some marital strife because I still wanted to go. We have friends over there and I'm like, they're fine. They said it's not near them. And my husband's like, it's not happening not going. Um, and I'm like, no, my husband would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, no, I would be like you. I'm like, it's going to be fine. Like, yeah, they're way over on the other side of the country. Um, and I just feel like my friends said they're good. And he was just like, I don't care. He was like, you have all, there are a million places in the world to go. We're not going anywhere that has any chance whatsoever of things turning south. And that's just, you know, we have a different risk tolerance there. Yeah. And it, it really has to be something we both agree on. So Ethiopia is not going to work out this time. So yeah. we're on the we're on the continent, but totally on a completely different side of it. That will be. Yeah. So you're going to Ghana in October. How long are you planning on staying? We'll be there eleven weeks, so we can get home by Christmas. We'd be home for Christmas. Yeah, and we, you and I, we talked about that when we saw each other at the conference. That your yeah. mom just your mom throws a spectacular Christmas. So yes. you got to be home for that for your family. What do you guys do for school when you're when you're overseas? I know everyone's always curious about that. Oh, wow. It looks completely different. So we do a little bit on the days when we're home, because we have some days where we don't leave because of weather, because of political climate, who knew that, you know, Um, or whatever other reason, Um, or someone might not feel well or whatever. And on those days, we do uh, whatever lessons we brought. The kids read, we do math. Um, Their writing is always in a writing journal. Those are gifts I want them to have for, for their 
adult lives to look back at their travel journals and then writing letters and postcards to friends and family. Um, and we bring handicrafts and things to do like that with their hands to stay busy because normally the t- we either don't have a TV or if we do, it's in the home language and we, we don't ever speak wow. the language well enough. Oh, that's interesting, Amber. So it's yeah. like a screen-free, a fairly screen-free experience. Yeah, I have my laptop and stuff like that if I need to communicate, but we're usually too busy to do things. And even certain things you don't think about, like when you go to over there and you log in to like say Netflix or something, the, the shows are different. Like it's not yeah. going to necessarily be all the same stuff you can get at home. So most of the time, um, and then the, the internet's not good. You know what I mean? It's just totally yeah. different. You're not going to be online streaming all the time. Um, and so a lot of days we don't do school the way we you know, people are imagining here because I'm like, yo, dude, we're like in school. Like we're living yes. in a uh, yes. like going to the market is a whole lesson yeah. and you are living you're, school. Yeah, that's it. And, mm-hmm. and I count that. I mean, that's social studies, history, culture, yeah. all the things, um, PE, everything. Yes. I love that you said we value clear unencumbered days. Yeah, that's what oh, I'm I I love for. that. I was going to ask are there are there people that you're still in contact with? Yes, let me tell you. Okay, our first trip was in Bolivia. Since then, a family we met there has come and stayed with us here in the states. No way. I know. It's like a dream, right? It's like something out of a storybook. Wow. Yeah, so, wow. you know, they stayed in uh we have like a, a little apartment downstairs and they stayed there and and our families the kids would all be outside playing and it was just, it's exactly what I wanted. It's for us to go somewhere and lean into a community so far that that we can build bonds. And you have to be super intentional about that. Otherwise, you're just going to walk around you and your little kids like a little pod moving through this community. Well, so how do you do it? How oh do you do God. it? I mean, you don't, I mean, the language barrier, I mean, it's so many things. How do you do it? Okay. First of all, I'm not afraid to try to speak the language. I know that I sound bad, but I will confidently sound horrible um, because I know that that is the number one key to making friends is to extend yourself and to show them that you respect Mm -hmm. them enough that you're willing to try and you're even willing to make a fool out of yourself. Um, And so I walk into the room speaking their language and they laugh at me and, you know, that breaks the ice or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, oh, let me help this girl out. But a lot of times they can't, they don't know English. And so we, we fumble through it. Um, my kids are, are people magnets. So um, also in a lot of the places that we've been, they're not used to seeing black people. And so to see this tall black woman with these four ducklings walking around behind her everywhere, we stand out in these villages and different places. They, you know, I remember getting lost one time and trying to talk to someone and I'm showing them the map like, oh, I live here. Can you help me get there? And he's like, oh, you live three blocks down, turn right. You know, it's the greenhouse on the right. I was like, whoa, <laughs> everybody here knows where we live, you know? And so it's weird and uncomfortable, but I also felt like a high degree of security because I'm like, yeah. okay, everyone's watching us and, you know. Like a celebrity. Yeah, it really was. Um, but, you know, you have to get used to things like for me, um, when we were in South America, it was a high touch culture. And here in the States, I'm like, don't touch my kids. Don't touch my kids' hair. Don't touch my children. And over there, everyone touched them on their faces and their hair, give them hugs, give them kisses. And at first I was cringing. I was just really feeling like 
you don't touch my children. And by the time we left there, I was like, Hey, y'all love my kids, you know? And I realized like, this is actually really nice. Like I like this. But do you come home and try and do it to everyone else's kids? And they're like, what's What's wrong with you? No, but I I still was like, you know what? Bring it back to the States. This is okay. I mean, I think if you're going to go in someone else's world, you have to be willing to lay down some of the things that you hold dear um, when you know their hearts are pure. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to, to follow your your other adventures. Gone is, I mean, October's, it's a little far, but yeah, it's not it's not that far off. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about how, well, you know, when you go through the book, you just talk about you know, providing your kids in so many different areas with the things that they need, you know, through the literature and you talk about mirrors and we could talk about that in a minute. Um, so that was a really good way to put it. Um, but about needing multiple roots. And I, it reminds me of like when, um, like if we transplant and we got a little seedling thing or whatever, and you pull it out of the pot and you try and put it, it's like, a, there are, there's all these roots coming out and a couple of them break, you know, or when it gets stuck in the bottom of the container and, but the plant is still fine. Um, so I, I love, I think that the breadth of the book is, is because you've gone through all of these ways to give your kids multiple roots, you know, and all you've thought through all these different things of, 
of ways to, you know, make them feel secure and help them feel secure. So, um, so one of the things that you talked about is this concept of mirrors. Um, can you explain that for people who haven't heard about it? Yeah. So when I talk about literary mirrors, I'm talking about books in which my children can see themselves reflected um, either directly or they see their families or the broader community. Um, And I find that to be very important because it's shown my kids like, hey, I'm worth writing about. I'm worth writing about. And I want to read stories where I can play a starring role. I mean, just just today, I I received a graphic novel that had a huge picture of a black girl in the front. And as soon as I opened the box, my daughters, I mean, if you should have seen them, it was like an Olympic event who could leap over to me the fastest because it's very rare to have a graphic novel that has a big picture of a black girl in the front. They were done. And that type of emotional response, I can't even buy that. It's something that you can't manufacture. It, it only can happen naturally. And it's that record recognition of seeing themselves on something that they deem important. And we've created a literary household. They deem these books to be important. Yeah. And you have lists and lists on your website, um, but also right within the book, which is great because it's just a resource to be able to go to. Are, are they, is it really hard to find them? Um, it's, it's getting a lot easier. Um, it's really easy for me to find picture books. The chapter books is where it starts getting murky. Um, what happens a lot, uh, for some reason, when you get to chapter books, a lot of the plots and novels dealing with black, uh, people and families really immediately go to urban life. And that's, that's great. I mean, I want my kids to read those books too, but they are mirrors still because they are black people, but those books are mostly windows. I mean, my daughter takes care of goats, you know, three days a week. And I'm looking out here, it's all wooded. Uh, we're in a semi-rural environment and um, they have both parents here and, and all their grandparents, you know, loving on them. And and so that kind of poverty, um, kind of broken home, city, urban life that is so associated with a Black story is only one story. And so that's where I struggle a lot with my kids of wanting to give them mirrors in these, you know, middle grade and young adult chapter books, but a true mirror, you know, that they can really see themselves in. And those are harder to find. Yeah. Are there authors who are writing series, you know, authors that have new ones that are coming out, you know, that you can anticipate or is it, or is it still just sort of like piecemealing it together? Yeah, no, it's definitely piecemealing. I haven't seen as much with the series. I know um, this author, B.B. Alston, he had this runaway hit last year um, called Amari and the Night Brothers. And so everyone's on, waiting on bated breath for this book two to come out. Um, and, you know, there's a series called Tristan Strong, and both of those are fantasy books. And the reason why I point to those specifically, because it is so rare in that genre to have any Black characters at all, but to have Black characters as the stars in a, a fantasy series, I mean, that's like, that's rare. And so those have been two that I, I like to recommend, but there are more and more that are coming out. Um, it's just very time consuming. And that's where my, the value of my website comes in because I'm kind of like, listen, somebody's got to do this work. Who's going to read these books and find out if it's okay for our kids and no one else is doing it for me. So I was like, okay, listen, y'all, I'm going to read these books and put it on my website. That is my gift to you. And y'all read some books and tell me what you think about, you know, other 
dollar books you find and let's do this whole thing together. It's yeah. like crowdfunding, <laughs> but yes. we're not raising money. We're raising children. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love that. There's a couple quotes I had written down um, that this were so moving. Um, this one's from Latasha Mor uh, Morrison from a book, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. And she says, in the love of the family of God, we must become color brave, color caring, color honoring, and not color blind. We have to recognize the image of God in one another. We have to love despite and even because of our differences. And um, I thought that your book did such a good job of explaining why. Um, you know, why that's so important, that it's not just about discrimination. Uh, that there's there's so much else going on there, um, and I love those words: color brave, color caring, color honoring. And uh, I thought it was really neat how you went through all the different literature and just things to celebrate. Um, and another one you said: be careful. It's from Eugene Cho. Be careful not to dehumanize those you disagree with. In our self righteous, um, maybe self righteousness. I might have written We can become the very things we criticize in others. Yeah. And I see that happens a lot on social media. You know, I kind of laugh to myself a little bit when someone gets really ugly and while they're telling someone else that they're being really ugly. And I'm like, hmm, you just lost a lot of credibility with me and everyone else who's listening to you right now, rant and rave and disrespect this other mother or whatever for what she did that you found was disrespectful. And I thought, you know, we got to be really careful with that. You know, yeah. that we don't become the thing that we're railing against. And I, I just see that so much. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, because, you know, we were talking when we saw each other at the conference the other day, like um, not not that many people write books. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're kind of in a circle of people that write books, but but not that many people do. And um, and so just for a quick, just for people that are listening, because, you know, maybe someone wants to write a book or they're just curious about the process or uh, would you say it was harder? Was it easier than you thought it would be? Anything surprising, um, okay. you know, with the process? So I expected it to be easy to write the book, hard to get a book deal. Um, but actually, it was easier to get a book deal. It's a timely topic. No one else was talking about it. That part came easy. It was more easy easier, easier than I expected. Okay. But then writing the book, I sat down, I busted out that intro. I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, chapter one. And by the end of chapter three, that was the book to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, like done. If you do all these things, you are good. Okay. Call me in the morning. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And so you keep, you know, you're, I, there are all these different, this different writer software. I downloaded all this different stuff. I ended up just using Microsoft Word. I was like, ain't nobody got time to learn new platforms. So I would have this constant word count down in the left-hand bottom left-hand corner. And so I got done with chapter three and I'm like, yo, I'm actually bound to like triple this or quadruple this. And what am I going to do? Um, and so I had a major writer's block, imposter syndrome, uh, terror, fits of terror and sadness, <laughs> depression and anxiety. Panic. <laughs> yeah, all of that. And the thing I did that helped the most, so I know if this ever happened to me again, what to do? One was I walked away. 
I just put the book down, turn the computer off. And I walked away for weeks. That's a, that's very, that's dangerous because I was on a very tight timeline. Um, but I walked away for weeks because it was all I could do. Cause I had nothing left to say. And then I, so I rested from there and then I went out and lived my life, had, went and had coffee with friends, uh, talked and had conversations, listened to podcasts, read books for my own pleasure, not for research, um, did all the things that bring me joy and edify me. And when I kind of had that, that, that experience after a few weeks of that, I came back and the ideas were flowing again. And that wow. writer's block had, uh, you know, had been eliminated. So I think that it showed me nothing happens in isolation. Writing is a very creative process and ideas are sparked by living your life in community with other people. And uh, when I was originally writing, I was kind of isolated at home and I hadn't been in community very much since COVID. And so I was lacking inspiration and I needed a muse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I would not have expected that because there is so much in here, Amber. I, you know, I would not have expected that you got, you, you had to pause for a little bit. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, Amber, she's got so much about her. It's like, <laughs> there's so, you know, so many fascinating things in here. I was like, how did you think of so many things to write about? Uh, it's phenomenal. So, okay. So the book's out. It yes. launched yesterday. I'm going to try and post this tomorrow. Awesome. Um, Cause it is launch week. Uh, Tell me where people can get it. I saw a picture of someone at a bookstore, which that's always fun. Uh, you're like, out in the, it's out in the world, but where's, where should people get it from? I mean, usually at all the places you normally can get books, you can go to a place to belong book.com is my book site. And I have links to a lot of different retailers, but you know, Amazon target, uh, Barnes and Noble, all the normal avenues and a lot of indie bookstores are carrying it, which I was really excited about. So you can check their local indie bookstores. Um, that, yeah. that retail sighting that you saw today, that was a friend who, who saw it in Barnes and Noble. So uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> heading you, over there when I get yes, off the phone with this. <laughs> I know I was going to ask, have you, you know, have you gotten to see it out in the world yet? Mm. Uh, but I, I'm sure you've been just swamped because book launch week and, and really leading up to it is so hectic. So, um, well, I'm excited. I can't wait to see a picture of you out, out with your book out in the world. Uh, huge congrats. Amber, um, is very brave. Uh, it's, um, a very, it's a life-changing book, Mm. you know, um, for, for anyone to read and to just to be able to be more empathetic and to be more understanding and to be more open-minded and, um, I just got so much out of it. So, uh, so just so proud of you. It's a huge deal. Oh, Way to thank go. you so very much. I appreciate that. I love talking to you every time we're on here. It feels like we could go on forever. And now that we've met in person, I feel like we really can. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, can we end with, uh, I would love to end with a, a standout memory from one of your world schooling trips. Ooh, that is such a good question. Okay. Um, all right. When I, we were on the first trip, my youngest got a heinous diaper rash. Really, really bad. Worst I've ever seen. And I did not know what to do. I could not think of how to say like, 
diaper rash ointment that was above my pay grade and so I went to the store and I like turned the babies behind up towards the, the lady in the store like register and I was like ooh, ha, 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 ooh, ooh, like trying to show like it was hot it hurts you know and I said you know it's red it's red and you know they the ladies are conferring and this and they send me off to get all this and I come around and it was a $30 tube of diaper ointment and I don't know, it must have had, it must be from like their <laughs> royal palace or something. I was so irritated and so frustrated. I, who knows what I asked for? Maybe like, where's the desitin? Like, yes, I was like, yo, I can't believe I'm about to do this. Um, so I think that was just one of those times where I was like, do they not use this here? This is definitely like an American, like knockoff uh, pricing or something. Wow. So you never know, like if you're being taken advantage of or... Yep. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm a fool today, but my kid's bottom hurts, so I'll just have to go with it. Aw, I think it's so cool that you didn't wait because um, I thought about it when I when I read about you wanted to wait till everyone was out of diapers, but you went anyway. And I, what I'm finding is that, and this, and you're in the same stage, right? We've got a 13 year old. Is like all of a sudden they have their own lives a little bit, and so if you wait too long, yeah. Y you miss, you know, you miss that window. And so I think it's um, so commendable that you did it. You jumped in and did it. Thank you. And I'm so sure you're so glad you did, despite the $30 tube of a diaper. I, I am super, gl <laughs> super glad. I'll just tell you this really short thing. You know, we're in Ghana. My daughter is having her birthday, my oldest. And that was like a big deal to her. Like, I don't want to have my birthday over there. I'm not going to know anybody. And so, like, I had to start already from over here making connections there where I can have uh, something special planned for her for her birthday with like friends. We don't have any friends there yet, but we're, I'm like making friends on the internet and like connecting with other families who will allow me to celebrate in a big way with her. So the things moms do, but yeah. Yeah, but it's a thing, you know? And so if you wait too long, then you're, you know, they do have these other things that are important to them. And it's just different, you know what it is? It's just different hurdles. I don't think that there's ever a time when there's no hurdles. No. It's either diaper rash cream or you're trying to make friends with kids in Ghana. <laughs> you know, you're going to get it one end or the other. <laughs> it's hurdles. So, well, Amber, thank you so much. Go find your book. I'm so excited to see a picture of you at the at the bookstore with it. And, and huge congrats. Um, and uh, everyone should get it. All right. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for reading it and for having me on. I'll talk with you later. Yep. See you, Amber. Bye. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.